0: Good afternoon and thank you for joining us this afternoon, this uh, beautiful sunny afternoon. Um, There's something to celebrate today. We have a new Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson was sworn in by Justice Breyer today. Um, That was huge, Um, but despite the fact that that's sort of progress moving us a little bit into the next century The Supreme Court still decides another case, yet another case that moves us back at least a half a century or longer. It decided that the federal power to curb carbon emissions should be constrained a little bit. The Supreme Court decided that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency's authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from existing coal and gas-fired power plants Under the Clean Air Act, which was the Anti-Pollution Act passed by the um, uh, Congress under President George Herbert Walker Bush, signed by that Bush, is unconstitutional. So the Biden administration is, again, throttled and trying to scramble. To preserve um, what gains we've made in the arena of climate as climate gets increasingly more dire. Um, it's terrible news. It's difficult to understand, but fortunately, today is the day that we have our science and sustainability correspondent, Brian Adams, and a guest who knew, knows another thing about sustainability or two with him. Hello, Brian.
1: Hello, Buzz. Thanks. And yeah, more discouraging news from the Supreme Court. It just seems to be a never-ending cascade of, of, of depressing decisions being handed down. And I think with this climate change decision, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do what is already happening, throw climate change um, work and decisions to the hands of the states, to the hands of uh, local officials, to the hands of cities and towns. Uh, and a lot of these decisions are going to be made on the local level. The actions are going to be made on the local level when the federal government just cannot seem to get under the constraints of, 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 some, of these, some of these decisions. Fortunately, today we have as our guest one of those very active local officials um, who for the last 33 years has been in the Office of Planning and Sustainability in Northampton. Uh, and we are so pleased to welcome today our guest, uh, Wayne Fine. Wayne, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, Brian.
1: So, Wayne, for 33 years you've been involved, the last 25 years as Director of Planning and Sustainability. Uh, you are on your first official day of retirement after 33 years. Uh, let me read something that uh, the Northampton Mayor, Jean-Louis Shaw, uh, said about you. <clears throat> Quote, I cannot overstate the impact Director Fine has had on Northampton. His expertise and guidance across five mayors and a third of a century place Wayne among the most influential government officials in Northampton history. That is an impressive thing to say about anyone. One of the most, one of the most influential government officials in Northampton history. So again, it's, a, it's an honor to have you here on your first day. I don't wanna say freedom, we'll call it retirement. Uh, let's begin, Wayne, with something that a lot of people with a question that seems sort of basic. But what is a city planner? What was your role as a Northampton city planner?
2: You know, the most important part of planning is to work with the community to figure out what the community's vision for its future is. Um, and that sounds maybe easier than it is. If, you know, if we hold a citywide meeting, we almost always hear, People want to be a you know a great community, open space, bike and ped-friendly community, affordable housing, address climate change. And then when we have specific projects and neighborhoods, people almost always say, oh, we don't really want this affordable housing next to us, or we don't really want to change our lifestyle to deal with climate. And so part of the job is sort of listening carefully to the community, letting the community decide its vision, but then figuring out how do you implement it and keep coming back to that citywide vision and not be distracted by a specific, you know, not-in-my-backyard approach.
1: Of which there is uh, there is a lot of. Wayne, one of the things I've been most impressed that you've done over the last uh, 25 years is uh, around city conservation land.
0: Um,
1: the amount of protected land in Northampton has increased seven-fold in your tenure as city plan are now uh, somewhere around 6,000 acres. And that's really impressive. That's, what, around a quarter, I think, of all land in Northampton now in the sort of public or semi-public domain. Uh, how How did you do that? How did you prioritize which parcels of land to purchase and lock up, and where did all that money come from?
2: Well, I, I do want to say one disclaimer first, just so it's clear about the, the numbers. The conservation land has gone up sevenfold on my watch, but the city already had some land for parks and for DPW water supply land. So the actual amount of open space on my watch, I think, has gone up about four times. Um, still, you know, impressive, but I want to claim credit for things that our forefathers did. Um, you know... It's interesting that the mayor's comment about my being really influential. I think this goes back to what I was opening with: is saying it's our job to figure out the community vision, and implement that. So, what makes it a lot easier in Northampton and a lot of communities is this pretty st- strong support for open space. When I first started, it was lukewarm, but over the years, it's been unbelievable. Including the people who write checks to us. I mean, you know, these are mostly grant-driven projects, but we have raised you know, a couple million dollars towards the project, which says, you know, from community donations. So the fact that we have so many people in the community who want open space makes our life a lot easier. The actual projects are just sort of thinking about what are all the tools that are out there. So, you know, we get state grants, we get federal grants, we get CPA money. Thank you, Brian. But we've also done limited development projects where we carve, buy some land carve off a couple building lots for affordable housing, we give away a couple building lots that are market rate that actually helps pay for the land. So we're just always looking at what are all the different financial techniques that are out there.
1: Um, Buzz opened with this devastating Supreme Court uh, recent ruling that again, sort of limits the feds in terms of work against climate change. And again, one of the one of the best things we can do on the local level is preserve land. And that's what you've been so instrumental at. In, in Northampton, let me ask this question again. How do you prioritize which parcels of land to purchase? Not all land is created equal from a, from a recreation uh, perspective, from a biodiversity, from protecting wetlands or watersheds. How do you make that judgment of which, with all this land out there, which which parcels to prioritize?
2: So we do it, an open space and recreation multi-use trail plan every seven years, You know, community engaged, and it helps us identify the priorities. So we've always been interested in the big, large properties where you get you know charismatic species of, of animals there. That, those are sort of easy. Um, we've always been interested in almost anything along the water. Like if you want to learn planning 101 and do it really cheaply, take a map of an area, take a crayon, draw the crayon along every body of water, and that's the most important thing to protect. So those are, those are pretty easy. We certainly do much more sophisticated work in terms of detailed analysis, but the quick and dirty is anything along the water, anything that connects is important. More recently, we have some of the tools. Nature Conservancy has mapped areas of what they call resilient landscapes, places where we need to protect so that plants and animals can migrate north with climate change, and so that's been a higher priority for us. Um, by the same token, you know, getting new homes built within walking distance of downtown is one of the best climate action things we can do because people drive a lot less. They on the average down about half as many cars. Um, but we need to focus on those areas as well. So we also think about, you know, protecting land right in the urban core areas so that people have a quality of life and don't feel like they need to move out to suburbia to raise their kids. Um, and then we think about. You know, slivers of land, you know, uh, green belts for bike paths and for people to walk to connect things and think about animal corridors. So it's, you know, there's a, there are a lot of sophisticated tools out there, but the basic assessment's pretty simple. If it's, you know, if it connects, if it's water, if it's close to people, if it's a big track of land, that's what we want. I,
1: I, and a lot, of, a lot of interest in water recreation among not just residents in Northampton, but residents from other communities who don't have access to water, coming in using some of our water resources. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you've done in trying to promote uh, access to the river, to the to the Connecticut River, to the Mill River, uh, to other bodies of water, and how to, uh, to get people in to, to really enjoy the water-based recreation that Northampton has a lot of?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a work in progress. I mean, when we do our open space plan, one of the biggest things people identify is the need for more water. And when the state does their assess, their equivalent plans called SCORP, it's almost always the top scoring thing is how do you get better access to water. Um, so it's been a focus for a long time. We try to buy anything we can along the Connecticut, the Mill River, Parsons Brook, you know, all the smaller streams. Um, and then as you said, Brian, it's not just protecting the land, it's thinking about how do you get access to the land. So we did a big project with a lot of partners involved to create a Connecticut River Greenway a few years ago. And it was sort of, was odd that the Mill River was very connected to people's lives in Northampton, but the Connecticut River, even though it's a bigger river, not so much. And so um, we are trying to buy land. We put a, a boat dock there and a boat ramp there. Um, so we've been successful getting the land. We've been successful getting the access to the land. We still are grappling with areas of the city that are overloved, where people come to an area and there's so much use and so much, frankly, trash that we get neighbors who get concerned about it and then we get pushback the next time we try to buy land. So we're still trying to work that out. We have a state grant to provide better access to the Connecticut River. And part of what we're trying to do is create you know, a carrot approach. We're trying to create a place that's safer for people to go and maybe less impacts in the neighborhoods which have negative impacts from people swimming right next to homes.
0: It's Dan. Can I just ask you a quick question
3: about the tension you might experience with the business interests who might want to... Uh, develop nearby and do that. How does that get resolved? Is that the mayor's responsibility? Uh, Or do you work with them and and try to find a solution?
2: Yeah, we work with them. It's it's a really good question because if you asked me that 33 years ago, I would say it was a huge tension. The realtors said, we're competing with developers for land and the developers are worried. I would say far more often, developers pitch land to us. They say they can't make this project work. Can we buy that land from them? Um, If you look at the real estate ads, almost always people brag and say, oh my land's next to conservation land, that adds value. And the developers have now seen that. Um, mm. So the developers <laughs> want to work in partnership. And you know, there's always some tension. You know, mm-hmm. developers will sometimes want to buy take a track of land and they want to develop what's easy to develop and give us, this is a technical term, but the crappy land. Um, And we approach it from a different direction of we want to protect the high ecological value land and the developers should work around what's left. Mm. So there's certainly some tension, but not as much as you think. I think Mm. most people now get that open space adds a lot of value to the property.
3: And that's been a change since when you first began. It's only
2: been a change. I mean, you know, I, I was involved with the state hospital redevelopment from the beginning. And I think one of my proudest moments is when the Chamber of Commerce and the business interests said that land opposite the jail That the state originally planned for economic development we shouldn't do that we should develop it as spectacular views it's important as open space and the conservation commission said the 120 acre core campus we should develop that as dense as we can we shouldn't protect this open space that's where development should occur Mm -hmm. Um, so again there are individual battles certainly but by and large there's a lot of consensus about that okay we're talking with wayne
1: fine wayne has retired after a 33 year stint as uh in the office of planning and sustainability northampton 25 years as the director announced his official retirement not announced but took his last day of work yesterday and is now officially retired. When we come back we'll talk more uh stick with us and we'll be right back.
4: This is The Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMT.
5: What's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday jackalope? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Enjoy fine dining in downtown Springfield, Black Angus filet Crab Cake stuffed Jumbo Shrimp, Bolognese, Fair Island Salmon, and vegans are welcome too. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at WHMP.com. Dinner tonight starts with a tap. Tap the Local Hero Guide on the CESA website and find farm fresh food close to where you are. There are so many farms and farm stands just minutes away. Look for the bright yellow Local Hero label in stores and restaurants. Local Hero Food, the beauty and the bounty of our fertile river valley farmlands on your dinner table tonight. The Local Hero Guide is at the CESA website, buylocalfood.org.
6: On over to the co-op, the
1: Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, I'm Jay
0: Sealer, Vice President Commercial Lending at the Greenfield Cooperative Bank and Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Our experienced local commercial lenders are here for you and your business.
5: Hi, I'm Laura Guzik, Vice President and Commercial Loan Officer. Did you know GCB is a SBA preferred lender? And unlike other banks, each of our team members has individual lending authority for fast, local decisions.
2: And I'm Adam Baker,
0: Vice President, Commercial Lending. We're here to help your business grow with commercial loans and lines of credit. You can reach any of our experienced commercial loan officers by phone or at bestlocalbank.com. We'd be happy to meet with you at your business or at any of our Franklin and Hampshire County
4: locations. Come on over to the co-op. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your
5: friends
6: at the co-op.
0: I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect, certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor, they seemed to be at ease. I hung around, now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Alcoholics Anonymous, it works. Look us up.
6: Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org.
4: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
6: your coat get your
0: And we're back and thanks for joining us. And fortunately, we have uh, Brian and Wayne reminding us that notwithstanding the best efforts of the United States Supreme Court to uh, enhance uh, the, the degradation of our climate, We have local people who are trying to do just the opposite, including Brian and Wayne. Brian, all yours.
1: Uh, Again, we're talking with Wayne Feiden. Wayne for the last 25 years has been the director of the Planning and Sustainability Office in Northampton and uh, worked another eight years uh, before that in the office as well. Wayne, lots of talk about revisioning downtown Northampton. It's a beautiful city, but it's sort of a traffic nightmare. A lot of work to try to make it more pedestrian-friendly, bicycle-friendly, and that continues to be a major work in progress, right? Yes. What's up in this regioning downtown?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, let me just start with what's going on right now. Um, you know, two years ago, we did a lot of work in Pleasant Street, narrowing the street, adding cycle tracks, basically protected bicycle lanes. Um, this year, we're extending that work, so we did it before from Hamden Avenue down to H- Hockman Road, this year, we're doing Hockman Road down to the roundabout. We're doing North Street up to the bike path. So in all those places, we're doing what we call right-sizing roads. We're narrowing the lanes dramatically to slow the speed of traffic, not to reduce the volume, but just to slow the speed of traffic, adding pedestrian accommodations, and but still able to carry the same volume of cars. So that that's it's really important for businesses that we accommodate cars, but it's really important for bicyclists and pedestrians that it's safe for them. So... We're doing that in Pleasant Street, we're doing that on King Street. Main Street is a lot more complicated. It's $16 million more complicated, but we're working on, in essence, doing the same thing on Main Street, doing, a, you know, the jargon is complete streets, but is widening the sidewalks, adding cycle tracks, narrowing the roadway. Um, the goal when we're done is still to let just as many cars go through downtown as go today, but at slower speeds, have fewer crashes, have fewer fatalities. Um, and and a key part of this, besides, I mean, obviously we want, don't want people to be hit by cars. That's pretty obvious. But a key part of this is, 33 years ago when I started, you had to come downtown if you wanted to buy a hammer. You had to come downtown for a lot of work. You had to come downtown if your doctor was there. There are people in the city who never go downtown, who will tell you proudly they never go downtown. Um, people have a choice. They don't go downtown if they don't want to. And so it's really important to make downtown fun and friendly and experiential otherwise it's it's going to die like a a lot of downtowns around the country have
1: that's such a priority keeping keeping northampton a vibrant fun safe exciting place to go and certainly appreciate all the work you've done to try to make that happen let's get back to this uh zoning issue of clustering houses a little closer together so we save some of that open space on the outskirts get people within walking distance of, of town. It certainly makes sense from an environmental perspective, but it's gotten some neighborhood residents pretty upset. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, let me start by the motivation first for this. So first, as you said, protecting land, you know, the, the average person downtown disturbs, or, you know, within a mile downtown, disturbs far fewer trees, f- has far less impervious surface, owns a third as many cars, As people who live in outlying areas. So from an environmental standpoint, it's really important. Second, the market's taking us to the direction. For all the work we're doing, getting new housing in and near downtown, um, the population hasn't changed because family size is plummeting so much in the United States. So the average family size now is less than it was at the end of World War II. The average house size is twice what it was at the end of World War II. So that means that you know, people who used to live in a two-family, that same two-family yes. might, with, you know, 10 people living in it, literally might have two people living in the house. Um, and so we're just, we're, even as we get new units, we're losing people. Um, and so even at our most optimistic, we're not necessarily going to get more population. We're going to stop the loss of population. Um, and then, you know, the, so then the third motivation maybe behind all this is from a business standpoint. Once people get in their car, you know, Half a mile to dinner, five miles to dinner doesn't really matter in the car. But if you're walking, you're more likely to support a downtown and not a King Street or a Route 9. Um, So from a climate standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, from an economic vibrancy standpoint, and from a quality of of neighborhood standpoint, it's important. Um, If you wander around the neighborhoods... You know, you go to some communities where, parts of East Hampton, where a lot of factory housing was built, um, you see places that are all built at the same time. But for the most part, that's not true in Northampton. Our neighborhoods have always evolved. And the things that, you know, people move in, they love the neighborhood exactly the way it was the day they moved in. And then the next day, they don't want anybody else to do anything. So, you know, the rate of evolution is not really changing the neighborhoods. We've always had new homes be built. Um, so we're really just trying to allow that. Um, and then I guess sort of related to all that, we know the cost of housing is becoming astronomical. And we want to accommodate, you know, the lowest income households, the middle income households, the highest income households, and not displace them. And and zoning that prohibits housing never lowers the price of housing. So, you know, how do we provide enough housing to serve some of those needs? Um, so I think from our standpoint, the key is not Trying to prevent housing, it's trying to be really careful about neighborhood quality. So we're doing a uh, a a, a new element for our comprehensive plans about historic preservation, and that's not about protecting every neighborhood and preventing homes, but it's about saying, what are the historical buildings? What are the mechanisms to protect that? Should we have more historic districts? Should we have? more landmark ordinances. So how do we protect the important things? Um, And then thinking about the design quality, not, you know, there's certainly examples of new homes that have blank walls Mm -hmm. that are 35 feet high and shade the neighbors and that's horrible. So we've been changing the zoning over the years to require windows and doors and articulation and limit the number of cars in the front front of the property. Um, And so how do we do all those kinds of things? Um, and then, of course, the walk biking, the valley bike share, part of that is, is some of people's biggest complaints about development is the number of cars that it generates. And so if we can shift, you know, 10 percent of trips to walking and biking, that makes a huge difference for congestion. That would
0: make a huge difference. Uh, so when we only have less than one minute, what is the one piece of advice you want to leave your successor?
2: Oh, I think it's work at, at different scales, both time scales and geographic scales. Again, you know, work closely with the community for what its long-term vision is, but then thinking about what does that really mean? You know, let's not say we care about climate and then do all the things that hurt climate. Let's not say we care about affordable housing and ignore it. So it's sort of listening, but how to make sure we're, we're listening in a way that's action-oriented.
1: We've been talking with Wayne Fein, who, after a 33-year career, the Office of planning and sustainability Northampton is retiring as of yesterday weighing big shoes to fill um, I can't imagine someone coming who uh, is going to you know jump into those into those shoes of yours thank you so much for your decades of service to the town not just this town but to other towns as well to the environment to the to the people again not just in northampton but 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 everywhere I appreciate all of the work that you've done. Uh, and uh, wish you the best in a wonderful, well deserved retirement.
2: Thank you so here much, deeper. Brian.
0: Here, here. Thank you, Wayne. Thanks, Thank guys. you, Brian. Um, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have Bruce Nimzik with this Take Five segment and Claire Daly. She's always a hit. We'll be right
4: back after these messages. This is the Afternoon Buzz oh, with Buzz mercy Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMT. things ain't what they used to be. Not
6: so far, oil wasted on the oceans. And upon high
4: seas, fish full mercury. Oh, oh, mercy, mercy,
5: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The search for a new superintendent in Chicopee continues. Mayor John View spoke at a spring neighborhood meeting last night and said they're putting together a comprehensive panel to help in the search. View outlined what they're looking for.
2: A good communicator, knowledge of Massachusetts curriculum, financial management abilities, people management skills, experience working with unions and union contracts.
5: Former Superintendent Lynn Clark was removed from her position in April after being indicted for allegedly lying to the FBI, and sending threatening text messages to a candidate for the city's police chief. Ludlow police are investigating after two men were charged in a marijuana grow operation Tuesday. Ninety-four marijuana plants and multiple grow rooms with fans, heaters, and fertilizer were seized from a building located in an industrial area off Laterno Lane in Ludlow. Peter Capice and San Miguel Bayez Infante of Connecticut are scheduled to be arraigned at Palmer District Court. State education overseers are giving elementary and secondary education commissioner Jeff Riley high marks. The board voted unanimously to deem Riley's work over the school year a 4.75 out of 5. Subcommittee chair James Morton praised Riley's work to get students back into the classroom after the COVID-era shift to remote learning and said Riley has done a really admirable job at a very difficult time. The board also voted to award Riley a 2% salary increase effective July 3rd.
4: Today will be mostly sunny and warm with highs in the mid-80s. Mostly clear tonight with lows in the upper 50s to right around 60. Hot and dry on Friday with temperatures in the low 90s. Humidity returns for the holiday weekend with a chance of showers and storms on Saturday. Drying out Sunday and for the 4th of July. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. On our next show, some of our favorite segments, The Fish Wrap and Your State U with the MTA's Max Page and Salman Hamid's Universe with Hampshire College Professor and Astronomer Salman Hamid, plus Heartbeat with Donna Bell Cassis. All this beginning
2: Friday at nine o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at nine. And again at five. WHMP News, Information and the Arts. Need a ride to the doctor? Tech
0: support? Pictures hung? Looking to connect with others in the community? At Northampton Neighbors, our goal is to help seniors live independent, fulfilling lives by providing connection and support along the way. We are free of charge and offer a range of social and volunteer opportunities, as well as services for members 55 and older in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. Membership in Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. It's about engaging in place this place, the city of Northampton. We welcome one and all to join, volunteer, or donate to Northampton Neighbors. Together, we can create the community we all want to live in, now and in the future. Find us at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or by calling 413-341-0160.
5: Thank you. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org.
4: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
0: And this is always an exciting part of the week because we're here in a Take Five segment with Bruce Nimzik and uh, incredible musician, uh, incredible teacher, uh, incredible jazz um, institutionalist, Claire Daly. Hey, hey,
3: Buzz. That's great of you to say. That's what I was going to say about Claire. She was at the Drake the other night and I think it's one of her first performances back on the road and I guess she's got two solid weeks performing and it was a lot of fun as usual. I've seen Claire five or six times with the uh, Green Street Trio and she's always a blast and she's a riot. So Claire, welcome to uh, WHMP and how you doing? I know you uh, had a class this morning at the Litchfield Jazz uh, k- Summer Camp. So, how Thanks. you doing?
6: Well, almost. T- oh. Today, I was actually at this jazz camp in Syracuse, New oh, York.
3: I thought you were in Litchfield. Uh,
6: oh, right. Yeah. So, I, I drove over to Syracuse yesterday oh. after the gig the night before hmm. and um, got up and taught uh, with the teachers there a couple of their uh, combos, and then tonight is the performance. So I'm going to sit in with the kids tonight.
3: Now, when you say kids, and how lo- how old are we talking? Uh,
6: well, teens? the youngest is probably 12 or so.
3: Really? Wow.
6: Yeah, they're pretty young. Although there are definitely some high school, you know, there are there the the most advanced group. There are three groups that I've played with today, and um, you know, it's it's pretty much covers middle school and high school age, I think.
3: So that goes back to when you were, I read that you, when you were 12, you started playing the uh, saxophone and flute. <laughs> that's
6: exactly.
3: And you were in the usual high school uh, orchestra pit stuff that high school kids do. And then all of a sudden you find yourself at Berkeley and you're uh, a jazz musician. What was that transition like? What happened?
6: Well, you know, that's a good question. But the transition was a little different because... I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, and there was there was no jazz program happening there. There was not even a, really a music program. So when I first heard jazz, I was 12. And God bless my father, man. He was a supportive parent because he saw how excited I was about the music. And he helped me, like, get into community things and uh take lessons you know he he really like full on supported my interest and um so by the time i went to berkeley i was i was not a savvy jazz player by any means mm-hmm. but um i'd been to hear all you know all the greats he he would always come home with tickets oh, to super. concerts well. can, yeah, you
3: very- ba- can you hearken back can you harken back to who you heard first? Because I always go back to hearing Take Five for the first time and just going, oh my God, what was that? So who were some of your original uh, well, influences? Well,
6: I've told the story many times, but the first band that just blew my head open was the Buddy Rich Band when I was 12. Yeah, okay. That, mm. that was really... And it was first a, a festival. It was a, a jazz festival at the Westchester County Center. And... Um, all these older big big bands were playing and all these players, and I, I was loving the music, but I didn't understand it, and I didn't know what was happening, but I loved the way it sounded and the way it felt. And when the Buddy Rich Band came on last, like Gene Krupa played with the group, oh, and wow. Al Klink was there. I mean, it was like really old-timers. And then the Buddy Rich Band came on and... They played Norwegian Wood, which was a Beatles song that I knew. And I, I just I, I stood on my chair and screamed, actually. <laughs> That's great. So yeah. that, was, that was definitely the epiphany moment. Now, and I dragged my father around for autographs after. And the bus was there. The Buddy Rich bus was there. And I said, I would do anything to be on that bus. Like I, I wanted the lifestyle immediately. You knew that at I 12 years old? I really did. Wow. <laughs> no, I really mean it was an epiphany. It was like I was struck. It was like, okay, this is what my life is about.
3: Now, the other night we were talking about, you mentioned uh, seeing Roseanne Roland Kirk at the uh, jazz workshop in Boston. And when I was in school, I saw him also at the workshop, but I think we discussed that it was two different two different years where you saw him mm-hmm. when he was uh, closer to the end of his life. Um and you said he was quite an impact. That's uh, a big change from the Buddy Rich playing Norwegian oh, Wood. absolutely.
6: To, well, but that's the difference between high school, or not even, you know, a 12-year-old mm-hmm, sure. and a college student. Because mm-hmm. I was in college, I was at Berkeley when I saw Rassan. It was my first year at Berkeley. So... Um, you know, there'd been a lot of, of course. You know, you go through your phases in life, and mm-hmm. it's the, a lot of times I see with kids. You know, it's it's the stuff that's kind of thrilling that grabs them. You know, that that brings them in like that. And as it was with me, you know, an exciting big band. Although I'd been hearing quintets and stuff all night, but um, then then later on, I found Rasan, who just exploded my head oh,
3: when he shows up with yeah. you know seven at, you know seven instruments hanging off his neck and a <laughs> a nose whistle and he's playing all these different uh huh, god it's amazing anyway simultaneously Simult- yeah three at, three at once yeah
6: yeah and he had a radio on his desk one time and he just put the radio on the middle of the show
3: not not about ba- not a ballad guy not a ballad guy per se no
6: Oh, but he did great
0: ballads. He did everything. I'm yeah, I'm a sir. devoted Rasan fan. So No You know, I if I may, I sure. this is Buzz. I too am a Rasan fan, but my very first L P that I bought, I saved up money and bought my father for Father's Day, the drum battle between Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich. Really? Wow. I listened to every lick. I had a little drum pad and I I tried to I Emulate, mean, like, And now to this day, when I listen, sing, sing, sing is still, I can, I love Ross and yeah. Roland Kirk, but mm. sing, 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 it still sends me. Sure. Listening to Krupa sends me. <laughs> yeah.
6: And you know what? At that concert at the county center that I heard, that first concert, mm. Gene Krupa was there also. Because Buddy Rich mm. and Gene Krupa were good friends. They'd had a school together, I think, at some point, or you know, a place where they taught lessons together. And um Gene Krupa was from Yonkers or he was living in Yonkers, which is my hometown. And so my father said afterwards to Gene Krupa, Hey, she she's really loving this music. Uh you know, would you recommend a teacher? And he recommended a guy in Yonkers for me to take lessons
3: with No kidding. No kidding. Uh yeah. so now you're now you're a kid, you're playing the— I'm would imagine one of the smaller saxophones why the baritone just carrying that damn thing around's got to be an extra
6: it's yeah. a monster yeah well i started on alto and i worked my way down <laughs> i um, i worked my way down to the baritone and the thing about um playing baritone is you don't pick it it picks you and i was already playing soprano alto and tenor in rock bands at various gigs when I moved back to New York in 1980 and I I I went to see if somebody was selling a baritone and I went to try it and I blew a note on the baritone and I think that that was the second big epiphany <laughs> of my life. Right. I it was immediately uh, you know, Oh Gary's- my god it, I
3: live. Gary Simoleon said the same thing about the baritone that it was, you know, he was a player and then all of a sudden he ran into one of those one days, but the actual the instrument is actually taller than Gary, so that's uh, always been fun when he plays.
6: <laughs> well, you know, Gary is uh Gary is a big man on the baritone. Oh, he's the ba- Yeah,
3: he's sure. he's great, yeah. Now the other um, night he And
6: um it did start on alto. I've heard him I actually heard a, a, a tape of him on alto. <laughs> Now, the
3: other night you said something at, at the Drake, which uh, so many of the musicians that play on the Tuesday night uh, with the uh, the workshop with the, the Green Street Trio, you said the same thing that Jay Hogard, Ken Poplowski, Benny Sheroni all said. You said, here it is. It's a Tuesday night. If you were in mm-hmm. New York, there'd be a few people listening and most of them would be talking. But here mm-hmm. we are in Amherst now. And everybody's there, attentive, paying attention to the music. And the place was uh, pretty crowded. It was, uh, it was a pretty good turnout for a, a, tu- for a, a Tuesday night. Yeah.
6: Well, knowing that group, I mean, P- Paul, uh, and again, uh, I, I thought it was longer, but it's been 12 years that he's been doing this, yeah. keeping a steady gig. And his crowd follows him around, which is oh. ideal. Good. I mean, it's, it's, it's as good as it gets.
3: Really As I was telling and you this morning, I've probably been there more times than Paul because he takes a day off now and again, and I hadn't.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I, just, I just absolutely love it. And it's too, you know, it's too bad that um, you d- we don't get even a bigger crowd than we do. People that haven't seen you should come and see you because you're a hoot and you're a lot of fun and a great player. The Drake's really turning into a really nice venue. And, of course, the Green Street Trio is as good a trio as you're going to see uh, these days.
6: Top shelf. Yeah. Absolutely top shelf. And I agree. That venue, is that room is wonderful. Although, I've loved every venue that that Paul's taken it to. Paul Arslanian is the pianist. Yeah. Even the bowling alley. <laughs> the bowling alley. I loved the bowling alley. It was amazing. It didn't sound like a bowling alley. You couldn't hear the bowlers. Like the it had good glass, like you, you could see them, but you couldn't hear them. And um, I just loved it. I've Listen, been coming up for years doing this. We
0: are, we're going to have to take a break uh, for a few minutes. And when we come back, Claire, we're watching, among other, uh, I guess the word is disgusting. I can't think of a better word. Uh, recent uh, actions this is the Supreme Court cutting back on women's rights to have control over their own body. When we come back, I'd really like to ask you what it's like to be a, a woman jazz player sure. with a horn in your hand and uh, whether or not that's still an impediment uh, for you and your success. We'll be back right after these messages with Claire Daly and Bruce Nimzik on Take Five. Stay with us.
4: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
5: Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Co-op. At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, we believe in a hand up, not a handout. Habitat's mission to provide home
2: ownership opportunities to low income families is unique as it requires partner families to work alongside the many volunteers that are reaching out to help them. Each Habitat partner family provides at least 250 hours of sweat equity or physical labor toward the construction of their own home, other Habitat family homes, and special projects.
5: We believe this shoulder-to-shoulder joint effort results not only in a better finished house, but that this shared work experience makes for a better community.
2: If you believe everyone should have a decent place to live, that home ownership brings strength and stability to families, and that everyone deserves the opportunity for a better future, we could use your support.
5: We're Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. We build homes, hope, and community in both Franklin and Hampshire counties.
2: Learn more today. Please visit us at pvhabitat.org.
4: This is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015
0: WHMP. And it's Bruce Nimzik with his guest today, Claire Daly, on his Take Five segment. I asked before we took a break, um, there aren't all that many, uh, sax players who are female uh at the professional level and so i wanted to know claire what your experience is as a woman who blows a horn uh what's that like for you
6: thanks yeah that is um that's interesting um i often say that i don't ever think about the fact that i'm a woman playing saxophone because i've just literally done it my whole life it was never um it, it wasn't uh, an act of any rebellion or anything like that. You know, like, it's really just something that's been pure in my life. And what I discovered in my journey is that, um, you know, that sexism is in the fiber of society and that I live with it and I deal with it. And I generally can tell... I, you know, I, I can tell when I'm in the presence of it <laughs> and I basically just keep moving. You know, I, I'm, I'm, if, if I, if I'm, if I'm, I, you know, if there are times in my life when I was very angry about it and I just decided um, that the best thing I could do is just keep playing and if something is going wrong or I can feel some strange thing happening, you know, as a result of that. Then I should do it. Now now and I said this before I left, I told one friend, I want to get out on the road and do as many gigs as I can while women can are still allowed to be in public here in the United States because we seem to be taking some strange turns here.
3: There and, might there may be a burqa in your future.
6: <laughs> I know. It's gonna be hard to do the gigs in the burqa, yeah. but uh, but I'll
3: try. Did you ever feel um the sexism with uh, guys on the bandstand when you showed up, and uh, you know, once or was it once you they found that yes, you could play, it was you know fine, or was there? Most a time?
6: often, that's what happened. Yeah, most often, um, people uh, drop it. If, you know, again, that's that's music. You know, and I mean, it's pro- it's probably guys would say that about other guys. Like, you have to prove yourself, kind of mm-hmm. first. And then, as, as you do, you'll be let in. Although, there are times when that's not true. And actually, I mean, I've shown up to sub for people on things and been sent away. I mean, one Latin band I, I subbed for, the guy was like, no woman's ever going to play in this band. In fact, yeah, Buddy yeah. Rich once said that. Oh, really? Nice <laughs> well, yeah, buddy, he said, no. Buddy no am going to play in my band. <laughs> well. Yeah, I, heard, I heard him say that.
3: Rest in peace, buddy.
6: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really? Uh, but you know those aren't the ones that are tricky. The one—it's the covert that's tricky. The one—the yeah. ones—is that the right word? It's the ones yep. that are that's uh, under undertones of it's are harder to deal with. You know, if somebody says I don't want a female in the band, cool, I'm out of here. Yep. Like you know, I mean, I'm I'm um I'm uh, there. There's there's not a lot I'm willing to to fight about for that, yeah. but. If somebody is more covert about it, it's really agitating. Yeah,
3: yeah that's too bad. Now, the other night, um, it was one of your first nights back on the road, and it's something that I always love watching uh, a jazz group do. You were um, basically using lead sheets and kind of talking to the, to the guys, to George and Paul, George Kay and, and uh, John Fisher, about what to play. And it's almost like you're having a little mini rehearsal for 30 seconds and then you turn and you count it and there you play. Uh, I've, I've been mesmerized by that over the years watching you guys do that. Okay. How do you do that?
6: <laughs> well, it is a language that we speak that all four of us speak that language. You know, we, we know the, we know about form and, and, Chord changes and tunes, and what and what to do over it, and really, it, then it's just the shorthand of a few notes can turn a, a piece of paper into a good-sounding arrangement.
3: I think I think you, you just know, explained theory to me.
6: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, it's 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 you know, there's a basic structure of a tune and we're just using that basic structure to jump off from but we return to you know we are constantly returning to that structure so um yeah. it's uh it's you know it's funny because a lot of people who don't know about music are like how do you all know when to come back in together or how do you know this or how do you know, or, do you know right. that and it's 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 just a language it almost
3: becomes instinctual yeah
2: yeah, yeah yes
3: now, one of the things uh, over the years I've asked the guest artists, a lot of guest artists will show up with their own tune that the guys have never heard before. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, okay, there's the rules, and they'll play it. And after the show, I'll say, okay, so what did you think of how the trio handled it? And typically they're like, yeah, it's great because you guys all have that code amongst you.
6: Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. So do you, do Oh, yeah, you, I mean, I bring familiar tunes um, some some of them have little arrangements on them on the paper, right. but uh, generally it's it's the same thing. And then if 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 that's an original tune, they're going to do this as good a job with it. You yeah. know?
3: And the other night you brought a Char- Charles Lloyd tune that was very interesting.
6: <laughs> that was Sweet Georgia Bright.
3: <laughs> yes, it was.
6: And a wonderful tune of his, mm-hmm. Charles is. I saw Charles just two nights before it came up. He yeah. played in New York this week, and, and it stunning.
3: Mid-80s stunning. and still going strong. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep,
6: 85, and, I think. A couple right. guys, yeah.
3: Houston's out there still playing great. Yep. I think we only have yep. about a minute left, Claire, so uh, we're
0: going well, we go? So I wanted to ask Claire, it, um, if people want to come hear you, what, what, what gigs do you have coming up? What CDs do you have that people could pick up? What website do you have that people could look at?
6: Oh, thanks. Well, ClaireDaily.com C-L-A-I-R-E Daily is d a l y. dot com is my website, although it is never updated. It's never up to date. <laughs> Sorry, and I'll apologize now. Um, but there's a little information there. It'll hopefully one day be better. And um, the last record I put out is called Ra-Ra, and it's, uh, it's on um, Ride Symbol Records, and it's an homage to Rossan Roland Kirk. So um, the, I'm putting one out. I just made one with great the with great tenor player George Garzone, but that one mm-hmm. probably won't be out till next fall or winter.
3: Oh, and and, clear and if
6: people want to contact
0: you, I think they could go to cdbari Barry, as in baritone saxophone at aol.com That's cd. Clare
6: Daly, yep. B-A-R-I,
0: yep. at AOL.com. Yep. Okay,
3: it's time to wrap and it up. Also, and okay, I'm on Instagram, too. Come, come
6: on there. I love, right. I love the Instagram. It's easy.
3: All right. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Claire. It was really good. great to talk to you. And can't wait till you come back through uh, the Northampton-Amherst area again.
6: I can't wait either, and thank you so much for having me on your show. All right. Everybody it was really, really our
0: pleasure.
3: Bruce, thank you, thank you
0: so much. Thanks, Buzz. I mean, Everybody join us tomorrow for the Afternoon Buzz at 4 o'clock. Talk to you then. Happy
3: talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things
5: you'd like to do.
4: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMT the western mass business show with local dynamo tara brewster saturdays at 11 and sundays at 2 only on whmp brought to you by greenfield savings bank with offices all throughout hampshire and franklin counties greenfieldsavings.com the western mass business show with tara brewster whmp
5: Library Outreach Delivery Service. The only Kater's live Terizians and local talk at in the Valley and for the
4: down. Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton Radio Group station.
5: It's 5 o'clock.